This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Welcome back to the Org Health Advantage podcast. I'm your host, James Felton, and I'm joined with my co-host and good friend and colleague, Keith Hadley. Keith, how are you? I'm doing great, James. It's awesome to be here. And you might notice we have we have some upgraded microphones, and so we're pretty excited about the way this is going to sound. It might sound different than, say, episode one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I threw away the tin can with the string and got a real microphone, <laughs> so hopefully it sounds better. Yeah. Keith, I am excited about today's subject. Good. Because it's coming on the heels of a great conversation you had with a leader and uh, some conversations we've been having, not as deep as you did recently, but some conversations around getting to mastery of this work. And we feel like there's a scale, yeah. you know, or maybe a continuum. Uh, on the left side, it would be awareness. In the middle, it would be bought in. And on the right side, it would be mastery. Right, right. And yeah, uh, and, and a shout, shout out to our good friend Gordon Blocker. You know, he he and I were having conversations about one of my clients, and he kind of floated this idea. And I think he asked me the hard question, like, "Well, have they have they really bought in uh, to this work? Or are they just are they just aware of it and going along with it?" And then he shared with me sort of a continuum. And uh, I think James, you and I have done this now a couple of times, where we've actually put that continuum up on a on a flip chart. And had yeah. everybody plot themselves. And so, yeah, um, yeah, maybe we'll spend a little bit of time talking about what those definitions are. But it, it, it's, been a, it's been a helpful tool to get people to do a little bit of soul searching on the front end of, say, a day together or two days together. How yeah. bought in are you to doing this work and doing it well? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's go with, with defining those a little bit. The first would be awareness. And right. to me, that is where, you know, they're aware of the idea of organizational health. You know, yeah. um, they might not have even read The Advantage, but maybe they've read a book summary. And, um, right. and if you said like, hey, here are the four disciplines of a healthy organization, they'd be like, yeah, okay. That makes common sense. You know, like we want executive teams to be cohesive and aligned. We ask that they create clarity for the organization. They need to over-communicate that clarity and they need to reinforce it in their human systems and in their meetings. Would you, right. do you have a different definition or would you add anything to that, Keith? No, I, I just like, I just like to, you know, it's such a short little moment where somebody goes from being unaware of organizational health as a concept or an idea to being aware of it. And, and often I think people jump in there too quickly. Like they, you know, James, how often does somebody say like, oh yeah, I read the five dysfunctions of a team, I think like 10 years ago. So I'm aware of this. We're like, right. okay, no, not, not, <laughs> not really aware of, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to be joining you on a journey and it's a journey of trying to master something. And so we need to have like full awareness of, you know, there are four disciplines and we're going to try to master yeah. them. So somebody reads one of the books, they read it a long time ago, they listen to a podcast, they have barely even, they haven't even gotten out of the car yet on this hike. They're just still 
aware yeah. that there is a hike ahead, but they are not aware of what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, that would be um, like an awareness of discipline one, the cohesive leadership team, but right, not awareness right. of like what we're asking the leaders to do within an organization. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, we, we often have, um, I think what goes along with awareness is, is we have clients that are aware of a lot of different tools and they think, oh, this is a good one. This is a fine one. Like, I, oh, I love Patrick Lencioni. I love those books, but I also love, and then they start a long list of other books, which, by the way, yep. we also love a lot of other authors. Uh, we love a lot of other frameworks. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But um, maybe this is getting ahead in our topic, but I had a conversation recently with a leader and a, a, talking about the team. And yep. I just asked the question, I was like, hey, I'm just curious, like how many people on your team have actually read The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni? And he said, you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I haven't, I didn't, I never asked him to, I never required it. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And so I thought, oh man, I'm not sure we're, fully even at sort of awareness yet if they haven't read the book. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like if, uh, you know, I'm a big Bears fan and a big Vikings fan. I grew up in Minnesota and now I live in Chicago. Uh, if I got transferred from the Vikes to the Bears, I might be aware that the Bears run a different offense. Right? But Right. But you'd be expected to read the playbook. Exactly. It's like, okay. <laughs> You're aware that there's a different offense. Do you have awareness of the offense itself? Like, have you read right. the material? Have you studied the playbook? Have you watched, you know, with the coach? Has somebody kind of walked you through at a very deep level? Not just to say like, oh, that's a good offense. Like that could work. But I also love what the Vikings do. I love what the Patriots do. I love what the Rams do. It's like, no, no, no. I need you to really understand that the Bears run a very specific offense here and it's different right. and I need you to to know what it is. Right. So that's maybe right. that's like phase one, right? We haven't phased these out. Let's not go phases, but Right. Because we are we also have disciplines that we're talking about here too. We wouldn't want to confuse it. But the idea is it would be really hard to master this work if you haven't read the advantage. Right. Right. You know, um, now, if you have read the advantage, I think there's a lot of other things to do to become truly aware of it. Table Group has a terrific podcast at the table. There are all of Pat's other business fables. And so, but quick right. study, read the advantage. Right. Read the advantage. It, it, it would be hard. Like I said, it would be hard to master this work without reading the advantage. Um, right. Because at the end of the day, Keith, like, wouldn't you agree that this is the, like, the biggest strategic move you can make because yeah. it's you're deciding how you want to run your company. Right. And right. so if you don't take the time to read the advantage, you're, you're probably, um, you know, just cutting it a little bit short on being able yeah. to yeah. run it as cohesively and aligned as the rest of your teammates. Right. 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 And we've covered this territory in other podcasts, but, um, the awareness, I think, has to include some significant mindset shifts because it's not just, you know, awareness of um, org health. It's uh, there's, there's some specific frameworks here. For example, you know, on this team, we're going to be vulnerable with each other so that we can have better conflict, which means I need you to be OK saying, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer or I, I need help or, or, you know, we're not going to go for consensus. We're going to go for commitment, which means I need you to 
vigorously debate your ideas, but then hold them in an open, loose hand because you're probably not going to get your way all the time. And then I'm going to ask you to commit to things, even if you disagree. And you might not have had to do that earlier in your career, but you're going to have to do it here. So like you really need to be aware there's some mindset shifts about the way that we run this business. And these are choices that the leader has made. And just asking every, like, I'm not, this is not optional. Right. I'm not asking you to, you know, consider this offense that you're going to run on the Chicago Bears like you're a bear. And so you're going to have to run this offense. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is, is we've said, you know, you need to read the advantage to really get to a place of mastery. But reading the advantage doesn't necessarily even get you to that second area, which is bought in. Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> like w- you and I have experienced leaders and this was, I remember this so vividly when I first joined table group was, was meeting potential clients who were like fans of yeah. Pat Lanchoni's and fans of the table group and fans of the book. And you're thinking like, Oh, this is great. And then you get to know them more and more and hear what they're, how they're leading their organization. And it's like, well, you're actually not even bought into this. Like you might yeah. be a fan, yeah. but you're not vulnerable. You're, you're maybe even like not having great conflict on your team. You're maybe uh, more pushing ideas as opposed to hearing from others. You're maybe like pushing for consensus, uh, you right. know, and it's, and I remember Pat, like early on in my time saying there's a big difference between knowing this work and living this work. Right. Right. And that's what we're going for. But like, there is this, you know, we would, we would really hope that people are reading the advantage, but there takes more to even be bought in. So what would your definition of that middle section of this continuum being like bought in? What's your definition there? Yeah, I think I think it it aligns with what we talk about in the five dysfunctions. Right in the middle of that pyramid is commitment. It's yeah. it's that when people have said, "All right, I am going to commit to doing this. I'm going to commit to making it work with the leader." And we don't need people to say, "This is the only offense you can run. This is the only framework out there." But we do need them to buy into the framework itself and say, "I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to do yeah. everything I can to make this work." And the reason it's so important is that this is not just like making a decision of one operating system to another. Like I'm a Mac guy or a PC guy. The stuff that's involved in this work, it does require a lot of sacrifice and it requires a lot of openness, open-mindedness and curiosity. Sacrifice meaning um, I I might have to make some sacrifices on the team that I lead for the team that I'm on. We call that the team one mindset. Or I might have to really lean into this organization's core values, even though I might prefer to do things differently. And so everybody, every team that we're on, there's there, there's usually an exec team of some pretty talented, bright people, but they need to agree on the framework and they need to buy in fully. So yeah. back, back to our na- analogy with, you know, with football, you know, you can't just you don't just know what the new offense is. You have to buy in fully to making it work and making all the adjustments and making all and, and learning the things you need to learn. So that it's like a full all in commitment. And I'm almost embarrassed to say, like I I have realized after I've worked with the client, say a year, a year and a half, 
that maybe I never even asked the direct question, like, are you guys actually bought into this? I know the leader is, but what about the rest of you? And, um, and I often see it show up in behaviors on a team that you may say that you're bought in, but your behaviors aren't supporting that. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was going. And, and I think we have even dealt with leaders who are bought in. But I, for me, that, that buy-in, just like you said, is like where it goes from being bought into mastery is actually changing behaviors. Right. And, and I think one of the best examples of this with a client I worked with was we were in the middle of an offsite. And this was probably offsite number four. And so we had been working together for probably about a year and lots of conversations in between the offsites and, you know, visiting the team and their meetings and things like that. And in offsite number four, we were at a break and we went outside. We had, the offsite was actually at a restaurant of all places, but uh, we were in the back. It was a great room and, and we went outside and, um, and we were checking in with the leader. And he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, you know what? I am a total fan of this work. He might've even said, I am bought in. But then he said, I realized I'm not the one who should be leading this company. Wow. Like I want this work to succeed. I am realizing I'm not the leader for this company. I should be more externally focused than internally focused. Hmm. So hmm. he was bought in. He just wasn't going to be able to change behaviors and master what it took to wow. be able to lead organizational health. Right, right. And I think, yeah. And I, and I would say uh, like, what a moment to be able to realize like, this is what the company needs in terms of like, we need to be a healthy organization. I'm not the person to be able to lead that. And so it would be best for me to step out and find somebody who can lead this yeah. and do what's best for the organization than what's best for my ego or, or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and they I, did amazing things after that. I, it's, it's, it's so cool that that leader had the kind of self-awareness to make that decision because yes. I, I was just thinking as you said that, that we often have leaders that are, they're, oh, they're very bought into the outcomes that they'd like to get from this work. Yes. But they're not, they haven't embraced or bought into the behavior change that's going to require. Yes. And even when we kind of point out some of these patterns that we're seeing, um, they, they're they still not willing to then make the necessary adjustments to their behavior. And yes. so all the leaders who work with, they want the outcomes. They want achievement of company goals. They're, you know, those standard operating objectives, revenue, profitability, EBITDA, all those things that they want, productivity, engaged employees, loyal customers. Um, a cohesive team, you know, where they right. can tr- trust, um, trust the dialogue, trust the debate, trust that it's team one focused as opposed to agenda or or functional focus. You know, right, uh, minimal right. minimizing politics at the executive level. Leaders that are so clear and so aligned that their clarity transcends their functions and goes to that cross-functional yes. layer and the whole company is effective. So they, oh man, they're bought into those outcomes. And then they realize, but they're simple behaviors that need to change. Often it's the leader himself or herself that needs to make those behavior changes. And that's where that's where the buy-in is really tested. So are, yes. are you willing to show up differently as a leader to, to see these outcomes happen? 
And yeah. I'm glad you had a leader that said that. Uh, I think we've worked with leaders that probably needed to say that, but but weren't willing to. And some leaders that said, no, I'm absolutely all in on changing my mindset, changing my behavior. You know, I, I really want to go from buy-in to that last category, mastery. Yeah, mastery. And um, and this is probably, you know, we, we teased a conversation that you had recently. And I think it was probably around this like yeah you've probably felt the leader was bought in mm-hmm. but not changing mm-hmm. behaviors to get to mastery now mastery doesn't mean perfection but it, it's right. a big step up from being bought in it's changing right. behaviors right. and doing it more often than not and so let's let's dive into that conversation real quick like what what were you seeing that said, I need to go have a car. I need to, I need to fly out to this client and have a real heart to heart with him. Yeah. Yeah. So what we, so I was working with uh, two of my colleagues and I'm, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to kind of keep sort of broad in general yeah. um, because this is all very recent, but you know, my colleagues and I were, were talking about just the fact, the reality that we were seeing this team was just stuck. And it was stuck behaviorally. It was stuck behaviorally around uh, their ability to have productive meetings, uh, their ability to get all the issues on the table, say, with a really big decision, and then actually make the decision, commit to it, and move on. Uh, Which, honestly, that's like a really big part of what an executive team needs to do, right? A core competency of executive teams is their ability to see a problem, identify potential solutions, wrestle with each other to get the best solution on the table, wrestle the solution until you find the right one, and then just make a decision, stack hands, commit, and move on. Like that's what you would expect to see. And and that that's where they were stuck. So uh yeah, flew out, just just spent a day with the leader and um and just started with just a lot of soul searching uh and really kind of exploring down this these pathways of like um, what's the level of buy-in um, and what's the level of commitment to to really making this work? Uh, and and it was it was powerful. I mean, the leader's a terrific person and and really embraced the conversation and the tone and the nature of the conversation and and was able to, I think identify where um, where he was where he needed to step up and change his leadership into a different, almost like a different version of himself. And I'm, you know, it's too soon to tell, but I'm, I'm very optimistic now, you know, after having, you know, sort of this moment of truth conversation. That's great. And what was the level of uh, vulnerability from the leader in that moment? Oh, I man. mean, you, you, you know, like talk about that, you know, and, and what it took for the, by the way, for sure, a, co- a courageous conversation on your part to go there and call it out, because I think you were probably willing to lose the business. Um, right. If, if it like, you know, so talk about that too. Like what were you willing to, to do if the conversation went a different way? Why did you go out there, you know, and, uh, and then the vulnerability of the leader? Yeah, I think we, we talked a little bit about this idea of, of permission and willingness and, you know, Hey, permission to really be candid, permission to really be direct. And, yeah. you know, just like we acknowledge that this is that we're stuck and um, are, are you willing to go deep? And, yeah. um, 
And in his case, he absolutely is a courageous leader and he's a very vulnerable, open leader um, and is very honest with himself about the things that he does well and doesn't do well. And so, you know, one one conversation we had is just like, hey, there's there comes a time for every leader where, you know, they they realize that maybe they're no longer the leader. And let's just put let's put all those options on the table and talk yeah. about them. And and we did and and had a great conversation about um you know, why do you want to be a leader? Why did you get into this business in the first place? What are you hoping to accomplish? What are the long-term goals that you want to see happen in the world, happen in your own life, happen on this team? And then what are you willing to do to get there? And, you know, are you are you willing to change your behavior? Are you willing to learn some new skills? Are you willing just to maybe hire somebody else to do this job for you? Absolutely not. <laughs> I bet last week he's like, you know, I'm a thousand percent committed to learning the behaviors I need to learn uh, or to mastering some of the skills that I need to master to get my leadership to the next level. And yeah. um, and so it, it was it's amazing. So when you have vulnerability, you have openness, um, you can really go deep and identify and identify um, kind of the, the most important things that need to change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Good for you, man. Um, and so, well, in in James, I think, you know, as you talk about some of the leaders you've worked with, I mean, I think we can generalize this. There's, it's, it's not like a list of 150 things that leaders struggle with. It's a list of maybe 10, five that probably make up 80% of the issues that, that leaders struggle with as they're trying to move, once they're bought in to mastery. So I, I, yeah. I'm just curious, what are what are some of the things, even in the case of this this leader that you described, but what were they not willing to do that they realized they needed to get somebody else to come in and do? Um, well, well, one was being vulnerable themselves, you know, like yep. the ability to admit mistakes, ask for help, uh, as you said, you know, admit they don't know the answer, um, yep. you know, and 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 just in a unguarded and genuine way to be able to talk about what's most important or to be able to find the data that's needed. Um, you know, they need to be able to display that so that other people will follow their lead. Uh, because otherwise, as Alan Mulally would say, if you're just trying to guard all that stuff and, you know, kind of guard your LinkedIn profile, as we would say, then, then a leader is just managing secrets because people right. aren't being truthful and unguarded. And so, um, you know, so there was that. There was the idea of like, you know, setting, I think this is something you and I see a lot, setting clear expectations of people, both mm. in a work product and behaviorally, and yeah. holding people accountable to that. And um, and totally. I think there, there are two issues there. It's like, being clear, we think, you know, we all think we are, but sometimes we're not. So being clear to where there's no question about what you're you're asking for. And then uh, the accountability is, you know, not heavy handed. It's like, are you getting this done? What's getting in the way? How can we help? And if, and if we've asked all those questions then it, and still not getting done, then it's like, okay, now I'm confused because, you know, we're trying to support you in this and and it's still not getting done. But the yeah. idea that we're yeah. going to be clear and we're going to hold people accountable in a positive way, not a demeaning way. Right, right. 
Well, I, I, I just want to pause yeah. right there because like what you just laid out is like a really good framework, right? Because step number one is we need to be vulnerable enough to define reality. So like, yep. like, what is the reality of what's working, not working? What's the reality of my leadership, how it's impacting? What's the reality of our marketplace? Um, I remember there was a quote I heard about Dan Cathy from Chick-fil-A where he said, you know, his, his boss is reality. Like right. he has to be able, because he Love can't that. argue with it. You know, right. Um, and right. then secondly is then to set clear expectations. I think at an executive level, a lot of CEOs are still learning or they're still trying to apply their kind of like frontline supervisory skill to an executive function. And I think clear expectations about, hey, here's what we need for, from the person who's in the role that you're in. Here's what we need. Yep. Like I need to have confidence that the leader of operations say can scale the operation along with our growth or i need to have confidence that our head of of, of hr people is going to be a strategic thinker and yes. and and it's, you kind of deal at that level it's like I've, i'm i'm not i don't have that confidence right now like what do we need to do to build that confidence right you know what i i might need to find another leader who can you know who can deliver against that outcome and then behavioral expectations, and then the ability to hold people accountable. So like define reality, set clear expectations, hold people accountable. Those are hard. Those are incredibly hard. Oh my gosh. So many leaders struggle with that. Incredibly hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but if they could do those three things, yeah. that would set them apart from so many leaders. You right. Know? And, and it would give, it would give their leadership team uh, and, you know, and other people in the organization, what they're looking for. They're looking right. for their leader to be a person, to be unguarded and genuine. And when you don't know right. the answers, just tell us you don't know the answer. Or when you need help, right. tell us you need help because we all get there. And so we want to know that you're human. As uh, As employees, we want to know what's expected of us, both in our function and our behaviors. And... When we're missing the mark, we want to know it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and that's yeah. what, that's what we're looking for in our leaders. So I, 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 you know, but it is, it's way harder to do it than to be on a podcast talking about it. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, that is for sure. When I think about those, the four disciplines that we first talked about awareness, then buy-in, I yeah. think the four disciplines as it relates to what we just talked about is we need to know that there's four like zones or four disciplines that we have to have excellence in. So like, let's define reality. Like, is this team cohesive or not? We could pretend right. it is, but if it's not, we know it. Like, what's your expectation as a leader on how the team behaves, you know, overcoming those five dysfunctions? Are you able to willing to then push people and hold them accountable and keep raising the bar? Second discipline. Are, are we clear or are we not? Like in reality, if I ask the question, what's most important right now for this business, we will either all have the same answer or we will not all have the same answer. <laughs> and we need to have the same answer. It's like, it's yes. not rocket science. Yes. And so just like leaning in and pushing, but that's, you know, back to your, when we talk about mastery, the mastery is not like everything is perfect all the time. Mastery oh. means that we are consistently aware of and addressing small gaps of performance or behavior as they come up. And, you know, it, it's messy, but it's not sloppy, uh, as, right. as Pat Lencioni likes to say. 
Right, right. And and just to be clear, going back to when you said we all need to have the same answer, that doesn't mean we are looking for consensus in right. developing that answer. It means that after a debate and a decision is made, we all need to walk out aligned on that answer. Right. You know, right. But getting right. there could be messy. Um and, and and I love this idea of mastery. And as we said earlier, it, we're not looking for perfection, but we're looking right. for us to be an aligned leadership team most of the time. You know, not yeah. all the time, not yeah. perfection. Relationships ebb and flow. We're looking to make decisions and create clarity most of the time. Yeah, you know, there's ambiguity. There, like, there are really difficult decisions that an executive team needs to make. It's like we need to do our best to clear up that uh, confusion, that ambiguity, and make decisions. Right. We need to over communicate what's important to the organization, short term, long term, strategically, behaviorally. We need to over communicate most of the time we're going to fall short we're not going to know what all the questions are that our employees are going to ask but we need to lean on over communication as opposed to what most organizations do and leadership teams is they under communicate so let's yeah. let's be better than most and over communicate and then lastly we need to reinforce what's important to us strategically and culturally in our human systems, how we hire, how we onboard, how we do performance reviews and coach people, maybe when we part ways with people, when we promote people, uh, and we need to have great meetings, and we need to do a lot of, all of that most of the time. You right. know, more often than not, we need to be really good on those. Again, we're people; we're not perfect, but we need to we need to do it eighty to ninety percent of the time. And, right, right. And that's what we would say is mastery. And then on a, on the executive team, if we're talking to the leader, like I'm sure you had this conversation with the, the CEO last week, you know, it was around, we also need your team members to do this with the people they lead. Right, right. You know, it's funny you say that, James, because that it was in an offsite when we asked that question, we went through the four disciplines for the eighth, ninth time with this whole exec team. <laughs> And I just asked the question, by, by the way, show of hands, how, like to what degree, not show of hands, but to what degree are you using these frameworks, this vocabulary with the team you lead and below? And I was shocked and a little embarrassed because like very few people on the executive team were doing it. Yeah. And it, in fact, one person who, in fairness, was relatively new in her role just said like, I, I didn't even know I was supposed to. Yeah, And of course, as a consultant, that made me feel like I had really failed this team. Uh, but it also, I think, was a wake-up call for the CEO and the other members of the team. Like, wait, I, I didn't, I never knew I had to say that explicitly. That yeah. not only are we going to use these frameworks on this team, we're going to use it on the teams that we lead. And it's not because, you know, we're trying to sell books. It's because these frameworks work. They're simple. They're They're intuitive. They're hard to do, but we also need to create some kind of a, a structure and a cadence, say, you know, just take something as simple as a rally cry, a thematic goal at the executive level. That has to then be translated at the, at the functional level so that it can be understood and applied at the cross-functional level so that every employee in the organization understands what's the focus of the company right now. 
we have to have a meeting framework where there could be a predictable flow of information on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. You know, these things are essential. So I know maybe if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're the leader of the company, you might just do a little bit of soul searching. Like, how bought in am I to this work, to being the best CEO that I can be? How how bought in am I on that? To learning new skills, how bought am I? How bought in am I to these frameworks? And it's not about table group. It's about like our company has chosen this offense. We are running this offense. And how willing are you to then um, really push people and have uncomfortable conversations to make sure that as long as you're in that role, you're the one setting the agenda, you're the one driving the offense, and and that's going to allow everybody to do the best in the roles that they're in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, my example of that was working with a team for about a year and they had really become aligned and focused. And in that offsite, somebody said, you know, we have really evolved as a team. We are so much tighter and so much more aligned and we work better together than we did a year ago. But we still yeah. have really low employee engagement scores. What's going on? And we didn't have the answer, but we asked, how many of you are leading your teams the way we're asking Todd, the CEO, to lead this team? And it was crickets. Yeah. And it was kind of like your example. Oh, we didn't know we were supposed to do that. It was like, oh, that's a right. light bulb to, for us. And um, and I was like, it's interesting how they could become so aligned and not connect the dots that like we need to do this for the people we lead as well. And it's not a judgment yeah, on yeah. them. It's more a judgment on us of not connecting those dots for them. But that's yeah. that's what really gets the whole organization. And that's why I love the advantage compared to like five dysfunctions of a team. Those two, the difference in those two books is one is about the team and the other is about taking this work out to the entire organization. Right. Right. You know, I think, you know, the degree to which we work with leaders who have a lot of executive level experience or just even managerial experience. Um, I think one of the things we have to overcome is, you know, just they've been overexposed to so many different tools, so many different Agreed. models. Yep. They've read so many books. Um, Joyce and I are working with a, a, just a, a really terrific company, but everybody on the team, you know, has been at other very large companies and they're yeah. very professional. They're a, a, a great team, but it is, it's been so interesting how, how many different versions of just take a concept like core values. Yeah. How many different ways these executives have like wrestled with, worked with, experienced core values created in many different techniques. Often it feels more like a, a marketing or a branding initiative has like no connection to the reality of what's happening. It's like they're, they're all kind of coming at this a little bit cynical, a little bit jaded yeah. uh, until they, they, we took them through the activity where you identify your stars and folks that have not been a great fit in the organization and identify behaviors and and you look at for patterns in those behaviors and then they boiled it down to a critical few and you could see them getting so excited because it felt real and they had never experienced kind of real core values and then we even went so far as to call one of the people on the list that that we had you know talked about as being a rock star 
and uh, and and as a whole executive team kind of just showered her with praise for like how she shows up and how that really models what's best about the company. And they left so excited yeah, because they had finally like experienced like, oh, I see what core values are supposed to look like when they're real and when they're genuine. And, and it was great because you could just see kind of like everybody took one giant step forward on the like, oh, now we're really bought in. Right. You know, now we understand the power of this. Right. Uh, or we have so many examples of, of seeing those magical moments where, you know, a company's strategic anchors finally take root and you see them actually using them in decisions. Right. Um, or using a rally cry to say no to something. Uh, you right. know, it's just, it, it, it's incredible when it happens, but it's, it's, it doesn't, um, it doesn't always happen because we're not maybe as explicit about it as we need to be. Yeah, well, I, I, what I love about that, Keith, is is what you're talking about is is another form of mastery. Mm. You know, we have talked about um, how we're going to lead people. You know, uh, we're asking the CEO to lead. Uh, in this case, with the conversation you had last week, lead his people mm -hmm. uh, along really the first discipline of organizational health, which is, you know, being an aligned and cohesive leadership team in the five behaviors right. model. Uh, and then having all of those executive members lead their people in the same way. Uh, right. and, and then you brought up clarity and mastery of organizational health is also using that clarity to make decisions. The first example totally. you gave was the core values and it's like, these are like, not only are we going to hire these people, we probably have people in the organization who aren't living these values. We need to coach right. them along these yeah. values. Yeah. Um, totally. And then you brought up strategic anchors. And these are the filters that we make in, these are the filters we use in making consistently good strategic decisions. Right. And, you know, we because it is so hard to make decisions between really good potential, you know, and, and really good possibilities. And, you know, very few times are we wrestling with just good and bad strategic decisions. <laughs> right, it's, right. Usually they're like really good and competing with another really good idea and possibility. And we use these strategic acres to filter and help us make consistently good decisions. And then we use the thematic goal or the rallying cry to help us focus on what we're going to say yes to in this next time period, you know, yeah. six to 12 months. And, and it, again, there are probably lots of really good ideas for us to focus on. Right. Um, but we're going to align on what that best decision is and really put laser-like focus from the executive team on implementing it over the next six to 12 months. Yeah. And that is, you know, the, that discipline is mastering, you know, the org health model and the clarity. And, and then of course we're going to over communicate and reinforce it. So the, you know, there's this, there's this team dynamic mastery, um, which is part of the conversation you had with this leader but there's also strategic mastery. Like we're using our clarity to make decisions. Maybe a, maybe a way to frame this would be like, you know, CEO, if you have decided you want to have a healthy organization, then you just need to sign up 
to master the team cohesion, team dynamics, to master creating clarity, to become a master over communicator, to become masterful in how you reinforce your the the clarity, meaning the strategy, the focus, the direction of the company, and uh, and I, our encouragement to leaders is 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 decide that you're going to master this, and then yeah. don't give anybody a pass. I think yes. one of the one of the ideas that we say often, I think it's another Gordon Blockerism. It's you know you 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 set an expectation, but that expectation comes with an invitation to buy in to opt in. And so this is, I'm not just going to state an expectation and leave it. It's like, here's my expectation team. I'm giving you an invitation to join me, but you need to opt in. And if you don't opt in by definition, you're opting out. And so this is the journey that we're taking our company on. And here's the, here's the bridge for you to cross over and join me. But you need to, you need to make that choice to opt in with me. And I think until leaders get to that level of here's my expectation, I need you to opt in and hold them accountable for opting out until we get to that level. We're not going to have the kind of traction or impact, uh, or we'll just have a lot of wasted time. Yeah. And I think that the challenge there is the idea that if they choose not to come on this journey, then, oh my gosh, that like, maybe I'm saying they're not a good person or something like that. And it's like the invitation is there. If they choose not to, they're still good people. In fact, you it might be part of your integrity or part of your core values that, you know what, I'll help that person find a new home, a new job somewhere right. else. Right, right. But they're, they're a good person. They're just not a good fit here. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because yeah. this is how we want to run our company. So Yeah. We use so many sports analogies, and I think it's because uh, sports is so um, quantifiable. There's winners and losers, but also because it's so obvious to see things in a sports setting that you would never tolerate in a company setting. Like, can you just imagine <laughs> if a coach said, like like Bill Belichick right here at New England Patriots, here's, here's the offense that we run. Here's, and somebody's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. You're like, okay, that is fine. You cannot work here. Like there's like just you can't even imagine uh, an assistant coach or a player opting out of running their offense, and yet in organizations and corporations we see it all the time, and we have the person who's in the Bill Belichick role somehow tolerating it, and it's like it's just you know, and and I get it, it's hard because if somebody opts out, then what do you start the whole process of recruitment, Um, but think of all the time wasted if they opt out and you don't replace them. That's really where the danger lies. So, um, yeah, this has been great. I think it, you know, maybe just one last, as, as I'm, as I'm thinking about what we're talking about here, it would, it would be easy to see this as just one big giant commercial for, um, table group or organizational health, according to the advantage. But I want to be really clear when we work with leaders, we say, this is something that the leader owns and the company owns. So I think, you know, one of our, our wonderful clients who talk about a lot, you know, uh, John Brady, you know, he called it the, the Midtown Advantage. He was the Midtown Athletics yeah. and, you know, the Midtown Advantage or the Midtown Way, right? Or the Southwest Airlines Way. So this is, this is whatever company you're in that you're the leader of, you're declaring, this is the way I intend to run my organization. It doesn't need to be lock, stock and barrel from the Advantage, but whatever it is, is, is the way you intend to run the business, then you have 
every right. In fact, you have a responsibility to declare that and ask people to join you. Well, Keith, I'll, I'll share a story where I was in an airport and ran into somebody that I knew who works at a different consulting firm. Hmm. And he actually works for the Oz Principle folks. Which hmm. uh, um, And so we were having coffee, like just randomly ran into each other. We're both going to coffee. It's like, oh, let's just chat for a couple of minutes. And he said, James, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to work for this client. And he said, oh, we've done work with them. <laughs> and, oh, no. uh, and we both just looked Awkward. at each other like, that was great. It was more like, wouldn't it be great if they just picked one and fully totally. ran with it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, of course, they could incorporate things from the other and, you know, and that would be great. But our provocation, neither one of us said, yeah, they need to be doing our stuff. We both said yeah. like, it would be great if they just picked one and fully committed to it. Totally. You know? It's like an exercise routine. Like the, the one that yes. you get the most benefit from is the one that you actually do. Just yes. do it. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. This is great. So you're right. It's not like we, of course, we're talking about org health because that's what we do. And because that's where most of the people listening to this will, you know, they have experience with it. But what we really want for these people is to master whatever they're choosing to do. And just to recap, that starts with awareness, right? In this case, it's probably like reading the advantage. Then it goes to buy-in. Like, yes, I fully get this. I really want this for our organization. And then the transition from buy-in to mastery is a leader who is going to either, probably both, uh, work on and change or improve their behaviors and ask others to do the same. Yeah. And and really yeah. probably hold them accountable, be clear and hold them accountable to that. Um, to get to that mastery piece where, where the team is aligned and cohesive most of the time. We're making decisions most of the time in, a, in an effective way. We're over-communicating most of the time, and we're reinforcing what's important strategically and culturally most of the time. Right. Well, I hope this has been helpful for the journey of transformation. That's the goal. Absolutely. To become a healthy organization, um, and and it takes a lot of work. It is not easy. As we said, it's easier to talk about it than to actually implement and become a master of it. But the rewards are so much greater. So with that, thank you for listening. And we look forward to you joining us again on the Org Health Advantage podcast. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.